Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nish Nikolic, and my guest today is Dr. Taylor Deegan. She is a postdoctoral fellow at the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre at the University of New South Wales. She's also a registered clinical psychologist working in private practice, and her PhD has focused on health literacy of people accessing specialist mental health and substance use disorder treatment services. Dr. Deegan is currently involved in stimulant research at NDARC and is working on projects which include the TINA trial. She has expertise in working with people accessing substance use disorder treatments and mental health services. Dr. Deegan has experience in working across multiple research trials and projects, including a New South Wales health-funded randomized controlled trial, the Continuing Care Project, which examined the effectiveness of a telephone-based continuing care intervention for people discharged from residential substance use disorder treatment services. She also has experience in the evaluation of health services, such as residential rehabilitation. Dr. Deegan has also previously conducted lectures in psychology for the University of Wollongong and also for Charles Darwin University. I'm looking forward to sharing today's podcast with you on health literacy and how important this topic is to consider both as a clinician and also as a consumer of health services. Enjoy. Taylor, big thank you for coming on to the show today. And I'm really excited to talk about health literacy in, in particular around the, the mental health world um, and also a little bit on the substance uh, use uh, space as well, because I know that's uh, something that you've worked in quite quite significantly, at least you know in the uh, most recent times. Um, so yeah, thank you and uh, appreciate you coming on to the show. No worries, Nash. I'm really stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. I like starting off with finding out a little bit more about uh, about our, our guests and, and in particular, you know, how you got into that interest, that space. So maybe you can talk me through a little bit about uh, that as a starting point. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so I'm a, a clinical psychologist as well as what's called a, a postdoctoral research fellow. Um, I work doing research out at the National Drug an alcohol research center at the, the university of uh, new south wales and work privately as a clinical psychologist as well um so i guess getting into that yeah completed my um clinical master's degree um at the university of wollongong and then went on to was convinced i guess by supervisors to to go on and uh do a phd um and yeah i i kind of um did about like five years of phd research there looking at health literacy as you mentioned um, um, and looking at the concept of health literacy in people accessing mental health treatment um, and then more specifically uh, people accessing residential substance use disorder treatment. So kind of did that for, um, you know, five years um, and then, yeah, finished my PhD at the end of 2022 um, and, yeah, got got kind of the, the role as a postdoctoral research fellow. So postdoc is just, yeah, post-PhD um, research position out at, uh, yeah, NDARC um, over at UNSW. So, I mean, kind of balancing the, the two roles um, since then, which I, I thoroughly enjoy kind of wearing both hats um, and at the same time, hats at the same time sometimes. So, yeah, it's been good. 
And what in particular drew you toward the health literacy space? Was it that was on offer of, of, of the different topics and it kind of caught your eye? Is it something that you've had a personal experience around? Have you seen others who struggle with with navigating the um you know the world of health in particular you know in in mental health yeah yeah i think that's a it's a really good question i think it can be really daunting um you know even starting a phd for for people to go like you know what on earth do i do i do it on um and it's always really great if you have a passion in the area and it makes it a lot easier to to complete it but um in a way i guess it it came about through my honors year so the honours being like the year before I started my PhD, I, I did like an honours thesis and my supervisor, um, I kind of chose my supervisor knowing that he was really awesome um, and also knowing that he specialised in substance use research. Um, so, it kind of started with, I guess, an interest in substance use research and, and yeah, whether that's, I guess, having, um, you know, some relationship to that in terms of like personal family members and things like that and being kind of really curious about how to um, people uh, come about um, in that way or or access treatment for substance use disorders and um, what are the ins and outs of like how it works or why it doesn't work sometimes. Um, And so that was, I guess, my interest. So that's where it started. And um, my supervisor had kind of mentioned this concept of, of health literacy. Um, and if I'm honest, and it's kind of what most people think initially when they hear it, it's like, I was like, oh, that sounds super boring, um, you know, and it's not kind of one of those crazy interesting topics um, for your PhD or, or thesis anyways. But I was like, kind of did some research and, and realised how important it was and, and how um, no one had really uh, researched or looked at health literacy in people accessing residential substance use treatment. And so I did my honours thesis um, dedicated to, to to doing that. And then that developed into the PhD, which then went slightly broader, um, looking firstly at mental health populations in general, um, and then kind of um, narrowed in more again, uh, doing some further additional research in the substance use field with that concept. And uh, to, to help me out a little bit, and obviously some of our listeners too, what is meant by health literacy? Yeah, so health literacy is someone's personal knowledge and competencies that they might gain through um, like daily activities, um, like social interactions with other people, um, even passed down through generations. So, for example, like through through your your parent or caregiver. Um, So, that knowledge and competencies, we use that knowledge and competencies in combination with like organisational, so the way an organisation is made up. Um, and the the way it's structured and their availability of particular resources um, to then enable someone to like navigate, understand, um, utilize health information to then access the healthcare system appropriately. So it doesn't just come from the individual's skills and abilities themselves. Um, it also um, kind of interacts, I guess, with or, or the organization, um, you know, the health systems also play a role in um, how their environment is structured and and the resources that they provide. So, I kind of like to use the example of, um, 
if someone wants to have, say, lower health literacy and um, maybe they, uh, you know, had a cold um, and if they were on the, had, had lower health literacy levels and they were experiencing a cold and maybe it turned into a flu, they potentially might not know where to go to, to get help. They, they might not know that they could probably look up on Google, like, you know, I've got these cold and flu symptoms. What are some treatments that I can look at? They might not know that they can actually just go to a pharmacist um, and go to a pharmacy and ask over the counter for, for any kind of medications or any other um, things that might help. And they might not know that they can go to their GP and, and check in, in in that sense. So I guess it's just a, a really um, narrow example. But, um, you know, someone on the, the higher end, someone with higher health literacy might, um, yeah, have have that kind of competency or the health knowledge to go, I've got a cold. Um, if it gets worse or the symptoms get worse, then I go to my GP first or I can just go straight to the pharmacist and get help there. So people with lower health literacy levels often um, present with poorer health outcomes. Um, so, you know, higher rates of presenting to the ED, um, going to, to hospitals, um, lower levels of social support, higher levels of shame. So it actually uh, kind of impacts on someone quite significantly. And I, I guess that, that's why the emphasis on how, on how important it can be. And and why would you say, and I suppose what does the research say in terms of why they correlated uh, in that way? Why, why are those things somewhat connected? Yeah, um, I guess I haven't done that research myself specifically in terms of the general population, but I guess it comes down to, you know, I guess we, we you and I probably both know like our healthcare system is extremely complex um, and I think you it, it makes sense that you need like a level of um, skill or ability or knowledge um, or education around the healthcare system in order to access it the most effectively. Um, and so I guess if someone doesn't have that or hasn't had, you know, um, someone educate them or provide them with or enhance to help them enhance those skills and knowledge, then, you know, the, the healthcare system would be extremely daunting um, and people just generally don't know where to go. And I guess, for example, the correlation to um, uh, ending up in, say, emergency, it could be because their health gets so bad um, that, you know, that their only option is to, to, to go to the emergency department um, because maybe they haven't been proactive in, in their healthcare. So it does come down to that, you know, being proactive as well um, mm -hmm. and the impact of, of that um, if you're not proactive. It seems like, at least through my experience, that uh, you know one's locus of control is pretty uh, is a um, fairly strong moderator of of maybe um, someone's literacy. Yeah. Uh, assuming part of the the definition of literacy is how someone can access healthcare, um, you mm. know, navigate it. That that yep. uh, if their locus of control is high, um, then they're not necessarily going to accept that there's you know. Uh, a, a an extended waiting list or I just have to wait for the doctor to send the referral. You know, there's yeah. kind of like a fear of can I call the practice? Can I follow up when I've sent when I've been to pathology? Mm. Can I, you know, see whether they've sent it? Can I ask about where they specifically sent it? What was mm. the email? Or you know, people who can't who've got low um uh, or have got an external locus of control, I should say. Um might not go out and follow up versus someone who's got a you know a high internal locus of control will will um you know push push it on push it along. It's almost like project manage their health yeah. um so that that uh, they've been seen earlier 
um, I'll question things more. Mm. It seems like that's a fairly important um, aspect in terms of, I think, mental health in general, you know, mm. low, 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 uh, so uh, uh, a, a high external locus of control, um, uh, I think, often is associated with lots of mental health difficulties because people feel helpless um, yeah. you know, at the, the mercy of the the world where it's the medical um, system or any other mm. uh, and you know it kind of feels a bit scary when you're dealing mm. with medical people you know they're smarter you know they're absolutely and, yeah. and it's true they are smarter that's why you go to them they're, they're they're very very intelligent in a very specific area of 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 what you're in need of mm. um, so they're, they're clever people um, sometimes mm. it can be daunting Mm. It is. It is really interesting, and I, I completely agree. And I think um, that also, I guess, comes to you know the research finding that you know that people with lower health literacy levels often have um, like lower levels of social support and higher levels of shame. Um, and you know, we think about social support, and I guess that the, the role that that plays in um, you know maybe you know people who experience mental health conditions, and um, yeah, I guess. You know, I think about, you know, someone who has social support versus someone who doesn't. And, you know, if you say rock up to to the GP maybe for the first time um, and you had a really bad experience maybe um, and, you know, you kind of, if you don't have social support, you might go home and, and kind of experience that feelings of shame, like they kind of looked at me funny when I when I expressed that I was maybe um, expressing some substance use issues. Um, I felt judged, like that stigma mm, um, mm. or interpreting that in some way. Um, I, I look at that then versus, say, coming home to maybe family or, or friends or um, caregivers who can you can then have maybe that um, conversation with mm. around, like, hey, I've had this experience and then being like, that's odd. Like, have you tried this GP? Or you know that there's other people out there and not all GPs are the same. And similar to psychologists, right? Like, I guess I even try and educate clients coming in if they've maybe had like a not so great experience. It's like, you kind of have to shop around. Like, mm. you know, you're not mm. gonna um, get along with everyone. Um, but it's that knowledge that there are other psychologists or there are other GPs to go to um, that may be able to help. So, um, you're right. Like, I think, yeah, I think that encompasses that. Yeah, it makes sense why I guess it's correlated with like lower levels of social support and higher levels of shame. Because I think it, um, you know, I guess it doesn't, low health literacy doesn't correlate with just one thing. Um, you know, yeah. it's a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, it, it'll make sense. And, and, and that makes sense because if you, if you are uh, well connected, you've got strong bonds socially, they look out for you. So they increase your, internal locus of control by saying yeah. hey that's not okay uh, you yeah. deserve more you don't have to just put up with that you know there are other options they they urge you to to um you know look at other options and more likely say so how did it go did you follow yeah. up did you end up contacting it that they you know remind you as well they keep you somewhat yeah. uh, accountable um yeah. through obviously their, their care for you their love for you so yeah um, absolutely yeah and I imagine they can also therefore push their literacy across to you because they are um, advocating for you, yeah. whether it's doing it specifically or, or advocating that you can do it, you know. And, yeah, and it's that generation thing, right? 
yeah, like the the kind of knowledge and competencies can kind of fall through that that generation. But even I guess on the the other spectrum is you know having a lack of social support, and then it's like where do you mm. get that health literacy skill from? And I think that's when why um, kind of research or the definition of health literacy um, has merged into um, really acknowledging the role that organizational structures um, and the resources that they provide play in yeah. enhancing someone's health literacy. So like school, for example, I mean, I don't know when you went to school, but when I went to school, um, I, I don't think I was taught anything about the healthcare system or how to navigate it or where to get help. Um, you know, I had to rely on my friends and family. And if you don't have that, or, or maybe they struggle or they have lower health literacy levels, um, then that can significantly impact on you. Hmm. It's so it's so important because I think as as humans, uh, we are novices effectively all the time in life. You know, for, yeah. for for so many areas of our life, we're we're doing things that are brand new. Whether it's parenting, mm. you're only ever parenting a one year old once. You know, or mm. obviously if you have two children and twice, mm. but uh, you know uh, that child, you're only ever parenting them once when they're sixteen, once when they're twenty. Once when they're thirty six, yeah, you're always learning what what uh, that's like, you know, in your mm. role, and and obviously from a health perspective, whether it's mental health, physical health, both, you're often blind to what all that um, means, and and yeah. and interestingly, even just in the mental health world, I I know that I don't necessarily share the exact viewpoint of all of my colleagues. You know, there's many topics that if we stepped into, we might have different opinions. Mm. Uh, and so interestingly, someone who comes and sees me as a client, uh, they will get a, not necessarily my opinion, but they will certainly get the flavor of how I work, which will be very different to the flavor of how yeah. you work, which will be different to the next person. And mm. hence the the, the important, importance of that, that word of, you know, we might call it shopping around. I, I think it's finding a good fit. Um, yeah. you know, something that that works for you and resonates, mm. and and that doesn't necessarily mean forever. It might be for a period before you say, "I, I need a new voice." It's healthy yeah. to get another psychologist's point of view, um, even though I've found great value in this psychologist. Mm. Sometimes stirring the pot is useful. Um, different language, different perspective, different way yeah. that I describe it, different way they interpret it and formulate, and so on. So. I know from the health perspective, when I've tried to help loved ones, mm. uh, you know, more often than not, you, you feel extremely vulnerable because you don't know the science, you don't yeah. know the data, you don't actually know what you're doing, and you feel mm. very vulnerable to their decision making. And you know, how can you mm. possibly question them uh, when you don't actually know? It, it's yeah. so problematic. And the world of Google. Mm. makes it uh, both helpful because you can yeah. do some some decent research at the same time, you know, literacy about how to read journals. You know, I think, mm. I don't know if you've um, uh, looked at the replication crisis and, and, and the issues around how research is done and mm. um, how it's been somewhat uh, uh, created results that, that mm. um, are not actually valid or, or, or don't have the utility that that they were told Very they were told they would um 
it's a major problem. So even our doctors will probably have difficulty <laughs> in being able to read all of this. It's just complex. Life is complex. Absolutely, yeah. It's so, so complex. And I guess that's why, um, you know, coming down to, to that, like, research and, you know, as a research and clinician, um, yeah, you know, the the importance of evidence, but but and 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 kind of um, knowing or being up to date with the evidence, um, and then kind of bringing that forth into say private practice or wherever you may work. But yeah, it is scary when you think about um, maybe people not doing the right thing in terms of research, and then the influence that 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 has. But I guess even you mentioning before around um, how you would have that conversation with a client around, sure, maybe yeah, probably shopping around is not a great term. Um, probably need to start changing that term, um, Nesh, but. Um, you know, even, you know, what you said, kind of finding a good fit and for you to actually, you know, sit there with clients and be able to have that conversation around that. I think that's even just, I guess, comes back to, to health literacy and you um, kind of as the, maybe not the organisation, but, you know, as we've talked about, it's not just the individual, it's also we play a, a strong role as organisations or services or um, healthcare systems to then continually like educate and help people um, along that road. So, you know, clients walking away from that conversation, it might've been the first time that they've ever had someone tell them that and they're like, oh, that's, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And then they might go tell their friends and then, you know, it kind of spreads out from there. So, um, yeah, I guess this is all just emphasising the importance of health literacy and why, um, yeah, why I did six years of uh, my life uh, dedicating research to it. I, I, I like the uh, uh, aspect, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about that as well in terms of health literacy also being entangled or, or, or connected with how organisations mm. set themselves up. I, I can see from the inside of, of, of running a practice that the things that we do, how they either help um, mm. or, or, or hinder a client's process. I use the word friction. Uh, because I think, you know, where, wherever there's little friction is where people tend to move into, into wherever mm. there's high friction obviously reduces uh, the, the, the number of people going into that space. So, you know, you can kind of funnel, you can shape how people will engage, for example, with the practice and, and how they'll make bookings or yeah. you know, so on and so forth by the way that you set up structures yeah. Um, you know, and obviously the same is true for everything, you know, we, uh, you know, classic behaviorism, right. You know, whatever you go out and punish through friction, you know, through yeah. making it difficult, mm. um, versus whatever's rewarded by making it easy. This is why credit mm. cards are so, yeah. <laughs> so um, well adopted, uh, yeah. you know, cause the, the friction is low, you know, you got a little mm. card and you tap it. Well, guess what? Now you don't even need a card. Mm. You've got a phone, you hit a button twice and you tap that, it's with you constantly. So, mm. you know, it's, it, it, there's a frictionless experience. Mm. Uh, can you talk us through a little bit about um, how organisations um, are set up and obviously the research, mm. what you've read and the like? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess in terms of um, obviously, you know, organisations, they're going to the way they're set up is going to be different depending on, I guess, the industry or, um, you know, what what we're talking about in that sense, I guess. Um, maybe a couple of things and one of those might be the, the research side, but then maybe initially it might be worth 
just uh, off the back of what you were saying around, say, in private practice worlds, um, the, the kind of, again, role we play um, in uh, someone's experience. Um, like even recently in private practice, uh, you know, due to the – you're probably well-versed in this, but but due to the med- Medicare of the, the year ticking over, it sends people um, <laughs> crazy thinking about – sessions and number of sessions and Medicare and what do you get rebated and all that type of stuff and, um, you know, calling particular services or, or say like a reception team calling particular services to try and figure out like, you know, what is the um, – what do we do about this? Um, we were uh, kind of recently talking – I was kind of providing um, my reception team with some education around – like what we actually do in that um, instance. And um, it's crazy because they were kind of saying that the information they were getting from two different um, sources were completely different to to what I was saying. Um, And we were just kind of talking about how as a team or or we have a level of responsibility to – get that right. So then when clients call, it's like we can then, it it kind of starts that ripple effect, right? Like if a client calls and we're like, I don't really know, not really sure, then they're probably getting off the phone also unsure and and not knowing. Whereas if we can actually, you know, be that first port of call for say clients calling and we can educate people on like, yeah, this is how you get a mental health care plan or, you know, just because it's a new year doesn't mean you have to go back to your GP necessarily and all those types of things. Um, I guess that just, emphasizes the ripple effect in terms of that, um, mm. you know, the, I guess, higher organizational uh, structure, you can kind of look at it in terms of, you know, say reception and then like us as psychologists and then the responsibility that we also have, as we were saying, in terms of educating people in that um, in that uh, kind of session, but also it comes down to say like the homework that we give people. Um, you know, I, I know yeah, you might like practice ACT and, you know, I, I do some ACT and, and some CBT and a whole bunch of stuff and it's like, um, you know, homework or practice tasks, uh, as I like to call them, um, is something that I like to implement in for, for my clients. And I, there's a difference between me giving a client a worksheet and just being like, yeah, do this in the next week versus actually sitting with them and checking their understanding of what I'm asking, ensuring that they are aware or that they they're even want to do that, um, that they're aware of what they're doing um, and the outcome or I guess maybe the friction, like, well, the outcome would be likely more positive if I was to sit there, educate um, versus just throwing it in their face and um, kind of going on their way. And I think there's research that suggests um, in terms, there's a lot of research on homework in in, in clinical practice. Um, but um, I guess if we were to, to think about it from a health literacy perspective, um, I guess they're just small examples of, of the impact that I guess an organisation, it could be from the front desk versus to the actual practitioner, the, the, the role that we have throughout like just constant interaction with clients in terms of helping um, enhance people's autonomy or helping enhance people's health literacy. So um, I guess that's kind of that side in talking maybe about those types of things in terms of maybe you and I's experience as, as psychologists mm. in private practice. Um and then I guess, really, it, yeah. It's, a re- it's really an important point, I think, that you make in terms of the Medicare space because mm. we've certainly had the ex- exact same difficulties oh. <laughs> about uh, uh, trying to, you know, educate um, uh, our clients um, about mm. how these, you know, 10 sessions occur and what yeah. does a calendar year mean versus what does a annual um, uh, or 12-month period mean yeah. and how, how uh, it goes across. 
what's really interesting is that we also find it very difficult to appreciate and understand it from Medicare themselves. The, the, mm. the number of times I've called mm. Medicare, been told one thing, felt that, that it's not quite right, phoned the same number, yeah. um, and then had a different operator say something different. You know? yeah. And unfortunately, none of this is done in writing. You know, This is all mm. conversational. So uh, none of this really stands. And, and so we don't have confidence, or I certainly don't have a confidence half the time mm. of what I'm being told. Yeah. You know, usually as human beings, we're fishing for a particular response because that'll be the least friction. It'll make my life yeah. easier. Um, so there's even a bias in there about how we ask a question. Mm. Uh, yet there's there's this kind of awful experience of when people don't know, they don't say I don't know. Mm. They make things up. Yeah. And so I, I I think, and not everyone obviously, but but it, it's certainly a pattern that we've both experienced is is uh, to save face. People make something up, and and it's crucial to to have accuracy. Mm. Um, yeah, there's almost like a shame of saying, "Look, I haven't come across that," or "I I can't remember." Yeah, mm. let me get back to you. That 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 whole yeah. um, uh, experience can change in terms of mm. their trajectory depending mm. on someone's making something up, which doesn't stand true, doesn't hold up, uh, versus some honesty um but still being able to say i'll learn something in the process because i'll find out and then i'll get back yeah. to you right? but that's a friction point right people Absolutely. are busy so yeah. um they don't want to look into in, in, into things at least on, on average has been my experience yeah i mean that's really interesting because um when i've measured health literacy in um my my research so um, it, it's it's changed a lot from um, like back in the 1970s when the concept was first introduced. It was measured using um, like reading and writing ability. So basically, like your health literacy was determined by how well you could read and write. Your um, literacy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your actual literacy, um, it, you know, it implied your health literacy, which we now know is is incorrect. Um, and, uh, sorry, not incorrect. There's there's way more, and that's like yeah. one kind of aspect of it. So it's a really important aspect. We call it yes. functional health literacy. Literacy. Um, so with someone's ability to read, write, um, things like that. But um, there's now, well, not, I mean, it's been, you know, quite a while now, but that this big shift towards looking at health literacy is a multidimensional construct. And I guess that's um, just linking to what you were saying before. Um, one of the measures that I use is called the health literacy questionnaire. Um, and that's a really kind of well-validated, um, well-used um a way to, to measure someone's multidimensional health literacy. So the World Health Organization, oh, sorry, the um, Australian government uses it now in like the household surveys to measure um, general population health literacy and things like that. So it's a really good tool. Um, but that tool has nine domains of, of health literacy. And one of those is ability to appraise health information. So kind of what you're saying, it's like, it's your, also your ability, like, you know, if we're talking higher, higher, higher levels of health literacy, when I'm given information, it's like I'm able to appraise that information or to really, um, like, figure out whether that's accurate and, and to, to maybe get a second opinion. So, we're talking about maybe going to a doctor for um, maybe they're concerned about a lump or, or whatever it might be. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to go get a second opinion. So, it's also the ability, you know, that 
is just one kind of of the nine aspects of this multidimensional health literacy construct where it's, you're right, like, you know, calling Medicare and I've absolutely had the same experience, you know, hearing one thing and then, you know, maybe hearing something else. And it's, I guess, where then um, if we have high health literacy, have maybe the knowledge that, hold on, I can now, I can compare these two pieces of information. I can maybe compare it to what I've read online. I can also compare it to maybe my peers in private practice or um, their experience as well and come to kind of a, a more educated, um, maybe accurate uh, conclusion in, in that sense. So, um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, health, yeah, health literacy kind of encompasses all these domains and, and, and that's, that's one of them, that ability to appraise information. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when when I think about that whole concept of of um trying to find information, yeah, uh, someone just speaking off the cuff is a very different experience than uh, like if I call the um, uh, APS professional advisory um, yeah. service. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever experienced a scenario where they haven't pointed me to the guidelines. Yeah. where we've had a conversation, but they've then sent me exactly uh, uh, the section I need to to read as well. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, you know, and I know psychologists do this and I, I can put my hand up as well where mm. we assume something rather than going mm. back to our guidelines, you know, mm. and, and you know, code of ethics and, 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 yeah. and reviewing them because, uh, you know, assumptions are so easy, um, mm. but we really need to go out and, and read Mm. what it says um mm. for ourselves because uh, most of us have not read it from start to finish yeah yeah which, which yeah, is kind of funny I, like we all we all abide by them in, in theory um, yeah. truth is we don't because we haven't read them from from start to finish um uh, it's kind of like assumed that we're going to do the right things we've gone through uni so these things have been uh, reinforced if you work in a group of people there's more likely that someone will you know point in the right direction or question it but even then, often people are just saying, oh, that's not right because of blah, blah, blah. But they haven't reviewed the actual code of ethics and uh, said, yeah. what does it actually say? And I know I've, I've you know, practiced for, for, for years at times assuming something, only to then open it up another time and go, oh, my God, I've, I've yeah, like, oh God. been doing this technically incorrect. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's fascinating, here's, here's a fascinating one, um, and this is like even about, practice uh, literacy Mm -hmm. um which i think in so many ways still applies Mm. uh informed consent uh, Mm. is not going out and getting a client to sign a form Mm. informed consent um we all do that because it's very wise to do that all psychologists because it you know it it has a very strong legal standing should something occur um to say that you've gone through this but the truth is uh uh, informed consent cannot occur unless the conversation has uh, has been had. So it has to actually be in session. Mm. Um, and it's a bit funny because if you look at through the if you look at all the informed consent um, uh, guidelines, honestly, if you did everything that they asked you to do, I reckon it would be three sessions. <laughs> yeah, it, it, right. it, is, it is astronomical yeah. what what they expect that we go and do, but. You know, the world works in a different way. So you can kind of just say, here are the three times I can break confidentiality. Yeah. You know, we're engaging in, in in psychological services. Any questions, you know, you mm. obviously you've got informed consent. You can withdraw it at any given time. Um, uh, and, you know, 
but that that doesn't actually it's not how we practice so it's really really mm-hmm. funny to have mm-hmm. one thing said and then another thing done um, yeah but you know that's that's kind of how you know the literacy is that's how it is but mm. as a as a you know uh, as a practicing psychologist the mm. whole of australia does it that way we, we get mm. a signature we discuss it in session mm. you know we, we we provide that it's in uh, we provide that you can withdraw at any given time obviously mm. all opportunity to ask any question at any given time about what therapy we're doing what the service is etc cetera, etc cetera. um uh, but if you look at the guidelines they're much 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 um more complicated than that you know there, there, there's so much about what we're supposed to explain and risks and this and yeah. that like no one does that no you know yeah um, so it, it, it's I, it's interesting anyway yeah it is really interesting and i guess you know even um around that informed consent you know like you were saying you know the conversation you know we have to have to have to have that conversation and ask any questions and it's it's kind of also it comes down to maybe what we like assume people know um and we just assume if we have the conversation and say any questions that they'll be like no no all good I get it um and again comes down to you know this this health literacy stuff and it's like but do we know that they've actually understood yeah. what I'm saying. Um, and I'm not saying at all that in every single session with every single client, I ask them to provide, to, to, to tell me, no, to, to um, yeah, teach back. We call it the teach back tool, which is a health literacy tool. But yeah, to, to um, ask them to, to teach it back to me. Um, but I, I definitely do in some instances when I'm maybe slightly unsure whether um, they have really understood it or I'm, um, yeah, Maybe I just feel like doing the extra, going the extra mile that session. Um, but yeah, it just comes down to again us maybe assuming. Same with homework, giving a homework task. We just assume, homework mm. task. We just assume that they know. Um, I've even started in in my practice to like check in about like reading and writing abilities. Like, hey, how do you how do you go with like if I was to give you like a whole bunch of information? You know, some people love it. They're like, give me handouts. Like, I want educate you know, written education information about anxiety or depression and I'll go away and read it. Um, whereas, like, if I just give that to someone without actually checking in with how they cope or how they like to, information to be presented, mm. then that could be, you know, really difficult for them and they're probably likely going away and just, you know, maybe chucking in the bin or, or not ever reading it or maybe reading it and not really understanding it. So, again, I think it's like this... Um, and you know we're, we're humans too, and sometimes we're dealing with time constraints and, and things like that. But you know we often kind of assume people's health literacy, and yeah. I think that is the problem. Um, and because then how can we expect people, like for example, people accessing substance use treatment? You know we know that um, their re- relapse rates are really high post treatment, um, and it, it, it you know it's it's the way. That is because of a whole bunch of things, not just health literacy. Um, but, you know, we, I guess, maybe are sending people on their way, like assuming that, you know, you've done residential treatment and, and you know w- what to do. And so I think it's the, yeah, the, the assumed knowledge that that mm. is, is really the problem. And um, I guess one of the like conclusions, I guess, around the PhD or recommendations, um, which is probably jumping ahead a little bit, but is to measure health literacy. Um and again, I don't do this in private work. Like I don't provide people with a health literacy questionnaire and, and, and measure that, which potentially I should. Um, but 
again, it's emphasising, say, for example, in residential substance use treatment, that we should be measuring people's health literacy skill um, when they enter treatment. Um, so then we have a really good idea of what they maybe struggle with, what they're really good at, um, and then can um, use like an individualised, like tailored um treatment plan to kind of help them in, in that way so um sorry i know i kind of jumped around a little oh, bit there no, but can i ask uh what what uh, i mean i think we almost kind of said the same thing in terms of how we practice uh is sometimes guided by you know time constraints you know it, it's mm. very difficult to spend yeah. you know, most of a session if not multiple on consent if if I were to do it properly and you know yeah. I don't believe the tolerance level would be there or <laughs> I, I genuinely don't even think that Medicare would desire that, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think that was the intent of no. yeah. consent. Um similarly, you know, your PhD recommendation, uh, one of them at least was was to measure health literacy. Um mm. yet there's some sort of friction in in why that's not being done mm. uh, could you reflect on that or, or talk that through uh, i'm fascinated because it, you know i like to observe myself and, and try and mm. and um it's almost like a way of doing you know whether it's core beliefs or fusion yeah. um uh, with oneself to be the observer mm. what is it about that because when you were talking about uh, asking a client, you know, what's mm. the format in which you would like information delivered outside of session? You know, do you mm. want me to provide you with a, a, a video link? Yeah. Would you like written handouts? Mm. You know, is, are you more of an audible um, person? Uh, what What are the helpful um, submodalities that I can provide information in? That I think, you know, is so useful because it actually mm. means that someone's much more likely to engage with the material mm. and so I can, I can see that the extra five minutes of of uh, preparing that probably mm. has immense value because otherwise they probably just won't even or less likely to engage with the material and it's going to create more cognitive load for them to engage with it mm. um so yeah i'm i'm, I'm uh, curious to know about the health uh, measuring health literacy how it happens yeah. sometimes and, and not other times and what do you think kind of yeah creates that for you as well I think it is such an interesting and, and probably a really important um question or thing for me to even reflect on and something that I do reflect on quite often you know again being research a clinician um, and dedicating you know majority of my week is doing research and the whole point or passion of research is to develop an evidence base and then I like that as a clinical psychologist I can you know maybe be up to date with the research and kind of implement that in some way in private work and and here I am kind of emphasizing health literacy kind of saying that I've dedicated six years um, doing an honours and PhD looking at it and I still don't measure it um, so I find, yeah, I actually, a part of me is like, oh, I feel like I'm going to, my next client, I'm going to get them to do the health literacy questionnaire and going to see, you know, maybe even test that, like see, does that make a difference in terms of how I work? Um, and it probably will. Um, and I guess in terms of maybe beliefs or reasons why I don't do that or have not done that yet, um, I think maybe partly, maybe because my hyper-awareness of health literacy um as a 
construct um, in terms of its importance, I feel like maybe I naturally err on the side of um, practicing in a way that maybe implements techniques naturally, maybe again, not just assuming, maybe I haven't measured their health literacy, but I'm also maybe not assuming. Sometimes I do. Um, I'm not, you know, saying I'm um, amazing all the time in terms of health literacy, but um, you know, maybe trying not to assume in that sense. So if I don't measure it, then I can't assume because I don't know. And so maybe if I if I then work in a way that my practice continually um, has maybe health literacy in mind, like for example, when providing homework or explaining concepts um, or writing out worksheets with clients. Um, then I'm like, maybe is that enough? Like, I guess is my is my thoughts around why I do that. And I think the reason is, and, and what you were saying before, is maybe because of time constraints. Mm. Um, and particularly if clients aren't coming privately and we're under a, a Medicare um, model and mental health care plan, you know, 10 sessions, I mean, I personally think 10 sessions enough for anything um, is usually is not enough, um, you know, to, to kind of uh, cure someone's anxiety or depression, you know, we need, we need much more time than that. So mm. I think there is an element of it may, it could take maybe like it could take a session doing that type of stuff. Like I mm. guess implementing it, I would say would maybe take about maybe 10 minutes. So um, I guess, again, you could probably um, get someone to do it prior to coming to see me, which now that I'm saying that, I actually think that would be a really good idea. Um, I don't send any of my clients like stuff to do before they come and see me, but this is something I'm now thinking of. Um, and then, you know, scoring it, like that's having, you know, the ability to score it and know how to score it and then being able to kind of feed that back to the client. I think it's a time thing, if I'm honest. Mm. Um it's yeah, interesting because yeah. I, I think about this stuff so much, like, mm. you know, when do we send forms and, and, mm. and like, because I, I am fairly sort of tech, um, I wouldn't say savvy, but interested. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've always kind of weighed up and questioned, you know, when do you send these forms? Because I always think about it from that friction point of view. Mm. Uh Part of uh, someone's experience of engaging in health service is also about how laborious it is for mm. them. And, uh, as much as it would be helpful for me to get everything under the sun available, you know, for 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 me and and, and the clinicians working here, is that can also be part of the issue of access. So mm. th there's a conflict in that. So. If, if we require clients to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, yeah. um, to then access our service, that reduces um, that efficacy uh, mm. of being able to 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 get into the service. Mm. Um, and so there's great value, but at the same time, there is a effort required and, and how we balance those I think is quite complicated. And, and, mm. and you know, as you say, when there is a limit question, you know, it starts to become well. We, what is more efficacious in in you know spending more time mm. in, in informed consent or mm. doing the the um, health literacy questionnaire or or any other questionnaire? You know, is, yeah. is, is it sufficient enough to to do something that that's a screener? That's a bit more brief. Can we integrate mm. it into our language you know, into the way that we 
ask you know clients to feedback what the um, you know homework or sort of between session experiments are mm. uh, and the like. Uh, you know, it's it, 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 it's interesting um, to consider this because there's no doubt that health literacy is important, and and in particular, I think if someone you know dealing with substance abuse difficulties is is, is mm. um, trying to seek help, there's a lot of things that tends to go with that, and 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 often, mm. obviously, lower social support you know is quite common. Um, you know, likely to be surrounded by others that have got those similar difficulties so you know your your buoyancy of, of social networks yeah. to to support um ongoingly you know in in, in a regular manner mm. is reduced and like so it's, mm. it's quite interesting um it, are there certain mental health difficulties that have a stronger correlation with health literacy levels you know is, is there lower liter- health literacy levels in certain conditions, so to speak, or, or life experiences? Yeah, it's a really good question. I haven't actually looked at that in terms of my research, and I don't think anyone has looked at that um, given given I was, you know, maybe the, the first researcher to look at multiple, and when I say look at health literacy and mental health and substance use, it's, it's using the multidimensional construct, not just that kind of unidimensional, like we're talking earlier, functional health literacy, reading and writing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in my research work, no, um, we just looked at a kind of mental health population. So, uh, people accessing um, treatment for their mental health. So, it was like a... Um, yeah, like a mental health service. So I guess um, that may then potentially mean that we were getting like more people experiencing more severe mental health conditions. Um, we weren't just measuring kind of general population and their um, mental health experiences. But um, I guess on average, so what we did do is as part of uh, my PhD research, we so we kind of obviously measured their health literacy, found that the, the way we measure it is um, using like this particular um, analysis, sorry, the way we analyze uh, the um, questionnaire, uh, the way I, I have done is by using this particular analysis that um, s- pulls out profiles of people. So it basically groups the, the, the population we're sampling from into different um, profiles. So we can then like look at where their strengths and weaknesses are on the different dimensions. So um, like there's like, we named them like low, medium and high. We always got three profiles. Um, That wasn't predetermined. That's based on statistics. There was always three. Um, So yeah, we we named them low, medium and high because that's based on their um, results on the questionnaire. They were the lower group, there was the middle group and then there was the people who had higher health literacy. So I guess the real emphasis is that like it's not a one size fits all. And I guess this comes down to, to that problem is, you know, we're not talking about um, developing a health literacy intervention and just giving that to every single person because they're all the same. Mm. Um, you know, people presenting to this, these services and, and same with substance use treatment will, are, fit into different different profiles and they come with different needs and they present with different strengths and weaknesses or, or difficulties. So um, I guess in terms of the mental health space, we didn't um, see if that was correlated with any particular mental health conditions. Um, I can't even remember why we wouldn't have done that um, now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know if it was because of maybe small numbers and that's what I'm um, thinking. Um, But we did compare the health literacy of the mental health 
population, so again, people accessing, sorry, mental health treatment, um, to like the general Australian population, so the ABS data that we had, um, and also a population experiencing like a physical health condition. So I don't know if I had mentioned this or maybe it was in our pre-chat, Nesh, that um, so much research goes on in health literacy uh, in physical people experiencing physical health conditions, um, but barely kind of, yeah, anything in the mental health space. So that's kind of why we compared it with physical health. When we looked at that, um, the people in the mental health condition, regardless of what profile they were in, so the low, moderate, high health literacy profile, um, were lower on average. So um, the lower and moderate groups um, compared to, say, the, the general population scores and then the people experiencing a physical health condition experience lower health literacy. So overall, I guess we can say that they, and potentially due to a whole range of things and some of those you previously mentioned, um, they do experience lower levels. So I guess that's, um, that's I guess, the, 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 the main core point is that. Taylor, can I, can I try and clar- uh, uh, clarify? Yeah, go ahead. Is what you're saying is that um, uh, people who are accessing mental health services uh, on average are found to be within the moderate or the low, or sorry, medium or, or low health literacy scores? So it can be a bit confusing. So um, when we're looking at just the population, so just sampling, say, looking at the health literacy of people accessing mental health services um, and similarly with people accessing substance use treatment. Um, There are, in that sample, people have low, moderate and high health literacy, right? So they don't all have moderate or low. There were groups of people on the smaller end, so smaller percentage of the the sample, um, did have high health literacy. But irrespective of that, when we then just looked at their health literacy and compared it to the general population... People in the moderate low profile were still lower on average compared to the general population. So I guess in maybe more simple terms and non-technical language, um, that they, they have worse health literacy than the general population. So people with mental health conditions. Um, wow. Yeah. So um, same, you know, again, yeah, similarly with with substance use. So I guess it's, it's around like here's a population that really struggle um, or, or struggle maybe more so or there is a subset of that population that struggle a lot more than the general population do. I wonder I wonder whether there's a moderating factor there or not moderating, a, a, um, a correlated factor, which mm-hmm. obviously there is because that's what you guys found. Um, but maybe, for example, someone who seeks... medical support for let's say arthritis mm-hmm. arthritis is not something that is moderated by how you think mm-hmm. yeah it's not moderated mm. usually by life circumstances mm. um, uh, yeah, maybe i'm wrong here maybe there are some you know mm. uh, how you eat and so on and so on. but uh, generally speaking those things are not uh, things that we can uh actively kind of be more resilient to or buffer from as much potentially. Mm. And maybe people who are 
having difficulties from a mental health space or whether it's, you know, the, the, the substance abuse, mm. um, maybe that is a moderating factor that therefore correlates with why they're feeling the way that they're mm. feeling and obviously then accessing um, support. Because obviously mm. if I get a rash on my body, um, that probably doesn't say anything about my psychological resilience. Mm. Um, and that, that whole idea of, you know, uh, an, a higher internal locus of control being connected to uh, higher health literacy. Um, if I have high internal locus of control, I can still get a rash. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. But if I've got a high locus of control, internal locus of control, I'm maybe more a little bit more buoyant, a little bit more psychologically resilient mm. um, uh, in general as on an average mm. uh, basis. Maybe there's something there. Um, I'm just kind mm. of postulating. Yeah, uh, I love uh, that but, though. But um, yeah, that, that that's at least the connection that kind of pops up in my mind of, of why there might be uh, a an average difference there between mm. the general population and the population that's that um, accesses mental health services yeah I think um I can absolutely see you know why that you know why you thought thought that as well and that that makes um it makes I guess logical sense um I think the difficulty with you know like pinpointing um exactly why is i think it's, it's yeah and it's <laughs> and it's so difficult and it's you know similar when we you know when we talk about people accessing substance use treatment and we we look at relapse rates and you know i wanted to i was really interested to to see did did health literacy um we didn't measure relapse rates particularly but we followed up people who left residential treatment. We followed them up um, at three months and six months post-treatment. Um, and um, people in the, I guess we were, we, we, I was interested. And to was there a baseline as well? Yeah, to- yep, sorry. Yeah, we had baseline, um, three month and then six month. Um, and I guess I was, yeah, I was curious about this point around, like, does health literacy play a role in relapse or, or how someone um goes when they when they leave treatment um we as i said didn't measure relapse but we looked at health outcomes and, and treatment outcomes and again when we looked at the baseline data so so when we're comparing over time we, we look at as you said the, the baseline data first so the sample um of people accessing residential substance use treatment services um again, could spread into these three profiles again, so lower, moderate, and higher. So, again, I'm not saying that everyone who accesses treatment was lower health literacy, um, but in comparison, when we're looking at that population, there were groups of people who did present with higher levels of health literacy. Um, What we did find, though, is that over time, so when people left treatment, what was really cool is that everyone improved to, to some degree. So scores from baseline um, to, to post-treatment, everyone had health literacy improvements. And, you know, residential substance use treatment, they don't implement a health literacy-specific um, intervention in that treatment. So it just goes to show that maybe naturally accessing that service, um, they're doing a good job at, at helping people um, with their health literacy and improving that over time. So that was that was really good. Um, but what we did find is that people in the lower and the moderate category never improved to the level of being high. So... Mm. 
they were still worse. Like they were still, they were still struggling more or had lower levels compared to the high group. So they, everyone improved, but these two lower groups, lower moderate, just didn't improve as much or to the same level as the high health literacy group. And what we found is that the people in the lower health literacy group, it was related, they had poorer health outcomes um, at the, the follow-up. So poorer quality of life and higher psychological distress. Um, and I guess that's the key concern is that, um, again, we're not saying that health literacy is why they're experiencing high psychological distress or lower quality of life, but this group struggle more um, and this group, um, you know, have lower health literacy, but that they're all present, they're also presenting with, or they're, they're getting poorer treatment outcomes um, or are more just psychologically distressed or, or, or lower quality of life. So, um, you know, again, it's not causation or correlation in, in that sense and um I guess coming around about back to like you know talking about relapse and it's not it's never going to be just health literacy and and I wish I would be um I would be you know it would be very great if if that was the key uh to to successful uh substance use recovery um but it's so much more and as you kind of mentioned before this is a population who are dealing with so much um mm -hmm. and so so many challenges um but yeah, I guess just um, for future treatment, and it was it's kind of around highlighting that that maybe we do need to measure people's health literacy levels when they're at the point of accessing, um, you know, intensive residential treatment for say a substance use disorder, um, and we're flagging this group as after treatment still struggling and still struggling more on, on those outcomes, and so when we do look at people's health literacy, can we identify the subgroup of people who are on the lower end and then can we do more in treatment to, to really help mm. um, bolster that for them, particularly when they exit? So That's, that's really fascinating because although everyone's uh, health literacy increased, whether it's high, medium mm -hmm. or low, yeah. Uh, the control being that they all access the same service, so they all mm. experience the same same um, yeah, information and, and, and education and, and and the program. Mm. But those in medium didn't didn't jump up to the high category necessarily. Uh, they yeah. they did improve, but they they mm. they didn't kind of level out. It mm. it kind of, there's another yeah, that's why it's multidimensional. Uh, but there's a whole lot of factors why health literacy still didn't um jump up to to that higher level and and yeah. i'm assuming and please please correct me that of the participants the um there was a smaller number of participants that were in the high literacy category than there were at least on 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 um uh, uh i suppose you know um yeah number of participants than those that were in the medium or the the, the low um that th there's obviously some factor or factors that are contributing to that uh and we want to get people into the high because it seems like it does buffer to a level mm -hmm. but even the program doesn't necessarily bring it up to yeah. a level um there, there's something you know um that's occurring uh uh you know, they, they walk in different and they walk out mm. different, even though they've all, all improved. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. yeah. It is fascinating. And I guess, um, and I, 
um, I guess one thing to emphasize, and maybe it's more for, for listeners, is around the, you know, also remembering that when they access residential treatment, I guess the issue with research is, and maybe in terms of um, research that involves maybe psychological treatment or, or, or um, residential treatment or something like that, is it might not always be identical. So we can't, I guess, guarantee um, that, yeah. you know, every, no, no, you're fine. I, I guess just in terms of just emphasizing that, um, yeah, I, we didn't look, we didn't measure the exact treatment they received. So we didn't actually look at, which, yeah. which would have been really interesting. Um, we didn't actually look at, you know, some people might access like a psychologist or a counsellor and other people might not and other people um, do like, you know, day programs or, or, you know, outreach stuff or employment. Um, so, I guess yeah. just emphasising the um, there's so much variability and that's why it yeah. is really difficult no, good, good. in measuring that, treatment. It shows I've been uh, practising for too long and outside <laughs> the research realm. Good <laughs> pick up there. But but you're right. There can be in actual fact vast differences. It's not a yeah. controlled environment. You know, it's yeah. not like this is a perfectly controlled by, by any stretch of imagination. I wish. People can, you know, participants can, can choose to participate in a particular session or program or, or, or yeah. to skip it they might go do an external aa program while they're still in it or not yeah. there's so many variables you could see a psych or not you know while mm. you're there for some individual yeah. work as well mm. you know the, the, the sky's the limit they're, they're, yeah. we don't um you know we don't they, these are not jails these are these are voluntary right. places that, that that people say i want to be involved in this and hence you know it's more of a tailored but there's a group aspect so yeah yes, absolutely good, good point having said that it's still an amazing environment that can mm. say it actually mm. controls for a lot, you know, mm. a lot more than, than if everyone was just doing their own thing. Yeah, um, completely. Uh, the variability yeah. is, is much greater and much more difficult to, to control for, at least um, yeah. to, to, to look at validity of, of, of those things. But uh, yeah. yeah, so fascinating, so fascinating. Mm. Um, and uh, I guess all of that probably just emphasises, um, you know, I, I guess I'm not coming here and talking about health literacy to, to say it's the be all and end all, no. right? Like my re my research definitely didn't, um, you know, factor in all different confounding variables and all the different things that can can happen or, or be different between people. Um, but I guess what it, it is important and what it did highlight is is yeah that. Like some pe people are going to be different in their health literacy and some people are going to experience lower levels and some people are higher. And, yeah, what we know is that those with lower levels do experience poorer outcomes and, and you know, even in the general population, significantly um, more health disparities and, um, you know, even higher rates of mortality and things like that. Like it's really, really concerning. And then, you know, you throw that into to looking at a population who are super vulnerable at times and, you know, people accessing or people experiencing a substance use disorder um and as we, we, we've briefly talked about you know that they are dealing with a whole, usually a whole range of other things it's not just their substance use um and so you know health literacy i guess it, it's important to kind of consider that within that environment to think you know maybe if we do just something more um it can kind of help in in some way and i guess the, the research has suggested that yeah, I think it would help them in, in some aspects. Definitely maybe not, um, you know, change their life or, um, you know, significantly improve their substance use issues, but I still think it's valuable and I still think it's really important from organisational perspectives that are working with people um, experiencing mental health conditions and then more specifically substance use issues. And then as we've spoken a lot about today, Nesh, I guess, I guess um, 
like us from from being you know clinicians just on the ground um mm. in a one-on-one setting um the importance and value of just considering it potentially maybe not necessarily measuring it in our setting due to due to various constraints but sure. uh, yeah like really considering what what that is like for our clients yeah so something interesting that just popped up in my uh, mm-hmm. mind as well and i'd love to hear your 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 thoughts on it as well uh when we are measuring uh you know looking at how how uh, uh people can navigate understand sort of utilize info mm-hmm. access healthcare i imagine some of those aspects are quite similar in nature whether it's the you know on the physical side ie how to access um uh, uh, these services uh, i'm guessing here by the way um sure but but I think there's there's a real genuine complexity in, in the possible difference between how you understand and utilize info when you're going for a physical ailment versus mm. going for a psychological ailment, mm. so to speak, mm. uh, where it's probably a lot easier. Um, and look, it's it's not easy and, and straightforward. I know I had a family member recently have a very um, uh, significant. Um, surgery um mm. and you're bombarded with information mm. you know they, they give you this beautiful booklet um uh, and you know i took charge of of, of, mm. of all of it there's just so much in there right and it's all mm. evidence-based and, mm. and it's absolutely fantastic and it explains you know this is what's going to happen in you know the first few days this what the next several weeks months you know up to a year and it, it is so thorough it is absolutely amazing and and clearly this is a booklet that's handed out probably to every patient that goes through for this condition in australia um so that was kind of a bit hard to navigate because there was just so much uh and there were some things that felt a little bit ambiguous because you just don't know the field but I think mm. with psychology, it's even more ambiguous mm. yeah. um, uh, because it, it's just something really hard because it's so contextual to each client. You know, mm. we don't necessarily give, you know, these really specific handouts that just say, this is what exposure therapy is. At mm. least I haven't done it in my practice. Yeah, no. I've never heard of anyone doing so. We're actually going to give you the exa- We will try and assist very much on this is how we would do exposure therapy for you. Hmm. Um, but that can get a little bit, um, you know, uh, complicated and good, you know, good hierarchical sort of exposure. It does it very well. Um, hmm. uh, uh, but there are so many complexities. And, and I think part of the challenge and probably what your uh, research has looked at and what the measurement does, it kind of says when a client leaves the room, uh, how confident are they hmm. in, yeah. in utilising what they've just heard, you know, because mm. the moment we leave, another question pops up and we don't have that answered. And yeah. then you've got another question. So we lose confidence in, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? How yeah. does this work? Um, uh, and that must be really difficult from a mental health perspective because mm. it's not always so black and white. And even as a mm. clinician, it kind of feels a bit odd to say, here are like three really black and white and that's all without the nuance you know especially mm. being an app therapist everything is yeah. about understanding it not the strategy you know i i can tell you how to do diffusion um mm. but the nuance of uh not trying to get rid of your thought is much more important you know to be the observer is more important 
um, then just practice the thank you mind mm. strategy. Mm. Uh, so maybe yeah. there's something there about why mental health is harder to mm. have uh, uh, to have um, health literacy in uh, potentially. Mm. Once again, just yeah. postulating. Um, yeah. Thing, but uh, you know, th- 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 there's clearly a need because th- th- it does show that there's better outcomes with yeah. a high, on, on in general at least with a higher literacy rate. Yeah, I, and you're right. And I, I guess as we said at the end of the day, like we can't, I guess, control or know everything that that's going to impact on it. But yeah, clients bring stuff to the room that that um, I guess uh, changes or you know what we might do, and and we all also bring um stuff to the room that might change things too like you know no psychologist does it's it's kind of that controlled treatment right like we i don't think any psychologist probably does identical identical treatment it can be really subjective um in terms of you know how someone might work um at times but yeah i I guess the emphasis is is you're right on this like it is it is important and maybe it's just worth us as maybe clinicians and as researchers or as people um to just develop our own awareness of like what health literacy is um, and then how, you know, to kind of maybe try and observe that in a client and and maybe it's not administering the health literacy questionnaire, but um, maybe it's like what are some tools and strategies that I can be aware of or mm. what are some techniques that I can be aware of that I can maybe start to implement in my practice Um in a way that is going to uh, bolster someone's health literacy or um, maybe gather a better understanding of their health literacy without specifically measuring it. Um, Because I think as, you know, the definition of health literacy says, it's not just the individual skills. I think organisations have a level of, or the services have a responsibility as well. even just as an example, you know, I was saying, um, are so many people present uh, with lower levels of lower levels of health literacy present to the emergency department or have higher rates? We know that people um, experiencing substance use disorders will also um, access acute healthcare at higher rates than the general population versus proactive services. So they access proactive healthcare services like maybe GP or psychologist less um, and they have really high rates of um, presenting to the emergency. And I guess my thoughts are is when someone with a substance use use disorder um, maybe having difficulties presents to the emergency department, maybe what like what are the emergency de- what's the emergency department doing about nav- guiding them towards like, hey, next time you actually can just go to your GP or have mm. you heard of this health service or um you know, thinking, I guess, uh, about them presenting to the ED because maybe they've left something too long or they've um, been struggling for too long without seeking proactive mm-hmm. healthcare. So, and again, um, you know, people in ED and, and nurses and things like that, I, de- I don't work in that environment. I can only imagine the last thing they're going to do is, um, you know, <laughs> I have time to hand out a health literacy questionnaire. But again, it's, you know, maybe it's about just being aware um, of people's health literacy and, and really kind of helping um, people understand like where they can go, what they can do. Um, and, you know, if we're working with a client and we're like, nah, we, we kind of gather they have really good health literacy based on our interactions and things like that, then it's cool. You can just maybe go about doing your normal stuff. Maybe you're, you're the, 
they're the one that you kind of send papers to because they really like reading stuff and things like that. But I guess it's around, it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So tailoring it and being really individualized, I think is, is really, really important. Yeah. It's very, um, very prudent to be considerate of this. I think, you know, in, in, in all aspects, whether it's on an mm. individual therapy basis, whether it's on a, on a uh, systems based in terms of how an yeah. organization, um, uh, runs, um, you know, what are, what are our regular protocols and, and also how we want to shape potential literacy to, to guide, you know, future interactions, as you say, like mm. for example, in, in, in hospitals. Um, mm. uh, and, you know, the lovely thing about this is, is we can postulate, we can go and hypothesize, we can, we can, um, you know, make assumptions and that's all part of trying to figure it out. Yeah. In essence, it's saying if I'm doing those things, I'm mindful of it which therefore means I can at least try and check in a little bit more about mm. uh, how well my clients or the system or the organisation um, uh, can engage, obviously utilise the information, have, have you know better um, uh, engagement and navigate through the different parts of it because it's not usually just like a, you, know, you just come in, yeah. you purchase an item and you leave. <clears throat> All yeah. of those things are are really important. Mm. Uh, before I let you go, um, you know, what are you currently uh, working on uh, in your research? Uh, and uh, maybe you can also share with our listeners uh, a little bit about your own private practice if people want to reach out as, as well. Yeah. So um, I have taken a slight shift this year in, or last year, I should say, um, in terms of my research to health, health literacy is still definitely um, there, slightly on the back burner. But I guess this year for health literacy stuff, maybe starting to think about um, some intervention work or, or testing out or developing interventions, um, maybe in residential treatments or for people experiencing mental health or substance use disorders. So that's kind of, that is there um, very much so something I'm really passionate about. Um, I guess cu- currently working on like other um, trials at um, at NDARC where I work. Um, currently working on the TINA trial, so so doing some. It's like a, a big kind of randomized control trial looking at um, metazapine, which is an antidepressant, and actually seeing if that um, helps people who are dependent on uh, or have a methamphetamine dependence, um, and actually see if metazapine um, impacts on on their their methamphetamine use over time. So. Um, probably be a whole nother podcast on, on what maybe that involves and, and the intricacies of that but um yeah it's called the tina trial if anyone's kind of interested in it, i guess that that brief blurb um they can they can look it up and again i can provide the, provide the website but um uh-huh. that's definitely super unique for me to, to kind of be involved on um a, a a drug trial um you know i'm not a psychiatrist so i'm learning a little bit about um pharmacotherapy and, and things like that um but yeah, that, that's kind of super fascinating. Um, and then, yeah, doing that alongside private practice work um, and also running my own business, which is like, why not just throw it all all in in, in at one time? Um, I run my own business with a, a colleague of mine, Kendall Allsop, um, who we studied together um, doing our clinical master's years ago and developed um, an ADHD group um, for adults um, experiencing uh, ADHD um, or, or living with ADHD um, or have a diagnosis. Um, and yeah, that's kind of cool. We're kind of running, we run like groups in the community doing that. Um, and yeah, it's like nice and busy. But Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. What's the name of the ADHD program and what's the name of your practice as well? Yeah. So the ADHD program is called Doing 
ADHD differently. Um, and we run it out of our mind space. Psychology is um, our business name. And then I work clinically separate to that. So I, I work um, at a, another private practice called Beachside uh, Physiotherapy and Psychology in Cronulla. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's kind of a, a few bunch of those. But, yeah, as mentioned, like happy to provide some websites and things like that for, for people to check it out. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much. It certainly helps to also continue the conversation and, and, and you know, potentially uh, uh, some listeners reaching out. And, and I think it's such an important consideration, you know, whether being a clinician uh, or in actual fact, you know, just, just being human, you know, thinking about mm. how do I personally go out and access and engage with and, and, and communicate with health providers and try and, you know, uh, uh, get the the services that I need um, because they are all constrained and you know they're challenging and they're brand new. Yeah. Um, you know, if if we knew what our doctors knew or specialists knew, then our literacy would be up there because you know mm. we wouldn't have to ask. They you know the reason why we go to them is they understand how it all works. Um, hence the, the the such an great such an important part of of health. I think is having really strong primary care you know yeah people having a really strong connection with a gp who can yeah. also step them through it and say this is what you should expect this is how it's most likely to be um uh, and you know some of the time a good gp can save you many months of hardship by by simply sending Absolutely. you in the right direction um yeah. uh, so you know i would always uh, uh, uh encourage everyone to to try and develop a strong relationship with a with what I would call a family doctor someone mm. that you um, it's kind of like a family member you have great mm. trust in I know it's not really, not always easy mm. um, but it, it's an such an important connection mm. you know we, we all want to select our friends uh, uh, for what they provide in our lives and obviously we, we enjoy their time we want to celebrate and laugh and the rest of well, I think we should definitely spend and be very conscious and thoughtful about who our health providers are, uh, whether it's a GP or a psychologist, mm -hmm. but uh, I think our primary care um, person is is a vital um, part of maybe even how you can increase your, your, your health literacy because access to someone you can rely on, who you can trust, uh, if they're high in it and you're leaning on them, you must be higher. You know, you will have greater efficacy levels because you understand who you can at least go to for that advice. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, GP, and even in the questionnaire, there's lots of questions about um, feeling supported and heard by GPs and things like that. So, yeah, yeah I agree with you, um, them as practitioners to kind of find someone who who really, um, like a family doctor who you can trust is is so important. And I guess it's all about, you know, breaking that cycle or helping people um, kind of improve their health literacy. Taylor, so so um, uh, uh, such a pleasure to to speak with you, and and so so um, uh, want to thank you so much about raising this as a topic and and, and talking about it so so um, uh, eloquently and, and beautifully because I think it's something that genuinely has huge outcomes, you know, mm -hmm. for for health outcomes, irrespective of whether naturally our focus will be on mental health, um, on physical health. I think they're obviously very well connected, um, yeah. but it's it's a real important topic to not just gloss over, um, and and certainly for me, um, 
something that's important is to try and take this away and 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 be very deliberate you know try and increase my efficacy by thinking about yeah how can i increase my access how can i increase how i understand mm. the information what you know can i ask better questions from my health providers or mm. where would i go to to get information how could i clarify that who would i go to as you know from a social network or even network of professionals i might know um you know maybe remove some shame and talk about things that are you know scary so that i can you know, maybe overcome those things to, to to access health um so so many aspects and and uh yeah thank you so much for for um your time and you know i wish you the best also with with your private practice and and, and your adhd program and also the research, so so important to to keep you know all of those flames alive, and um, obviously keeps you very busy. <laughs> yeah, all very busy. Can guarantee that. No, no, thank you, Nash. It's been so great, and I really appreciate your time too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.